I think it's important to remember that nobody goes around saying, uh, oh boy, you're, you're wearing those jeans really badly today. You look awful. But for some reason, there's a, there's a, some people think it's okay to police kimono wearing in that way. Mm. And I don't think it's any more acceptable than it would be to comment on, on Western clothing. So everyone has to start out. It's a skill. Dressing is a skill in kimono. And everyone has to start somewhere. So it's okay to wear it badly. Welcome back. You're listening to The Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Here at Japan Forward, we bring to our audience issues that are of real importance in and about Japan from the perspective and context of people inside of Japan, as expressed or captured by them who truly understand the nuances of culture, issues, and current events. In today's session, we chat with Sheila Cliff, who calls herself a kimono researcher, author, and stylist. Sheila is a professor emerita at Jumonji Gakuen Women's University. She has lectured at conferences, museums, and events in Japan, England, Hawaii, and Korea, and she is one of the first non native Japanese people to hold an official kimono dressing and teaching license. Thank you to all our listeners and followers for joining us again for our weekly Twitter space. Every week, we're seeing more people join us for this live conversation and appreciate it very much. Before we get started, let us introduce ourselves. For anybody unfamiliar with us, we started Japan Forward in 2017 with the goal to reach global audiences, sharing stories, opinions, and editorial content from Japan. Our mission, shared by our supporters and followers, is to raise awareness of the Japanese spirit, culture, and tradition. Okay, now let's introduce some of our editorial staff who are in the spaces as well. So let's maybe, Ariel, we can start with you. Yeah, so hello everyone.、Uh, my name is Ariel Buzetto. I am a journalist、uh, with Japan Forward and I have been since、uh, 2018.、Um, I am really excited to be participating today because I've been following Sheila for quite a while,、um, ever since、uh, I sort of accidentally met her at a kimono fashion show、uh, some years ago.、Um, and we've been、uh, publishing a lot of stories、uh, that she has written, and they're always really fun to read. And、uh, yeah, I'm really excited to catch up with her today. All right, thanks, Ariel. And I'm Galileo. I'll be the host slash moderator for today. And I work, I've been working in Japan for since 2017, working on like the website,、um, some of the marketing, just a bit of this and that, and、um, the podcasts. I've also been following Sheila Cliff's story,、um, seen her on TV a lot <laughs> in NHK, or on social media. And I'll browse through some of her books. And yes,、I'm, I've got the pleasure, I've got the honor to introduce our guest, Sheila Cliff,、um, who is a professor from Emirata at Jumonji Gakuen Women's University. She has lectured at conferences, museums, and events in Japan, England, Hawaii, and Korea, and I'm sure other countries too. And she is one of the first non native Japanese people to hold an official, an official kimono dressing and teaching license. Sheila has appeared on TV numerous times and published many books. In particular, in 2017, Sheila, Sheila published the book, The Social Life of Kimono Japanese Fashion Past and Present Dress Body Culture. It's the first study to combine the history of the kimono 
as a fashionable garment with an in-depth exploration of its multifaceted role today on both the street and the catwalk. Sheila has published 36 articles on Japan Forward, and her column is called Kimono Style. Welcome to our weekly Japan Forward Twitter space. Thank you very much. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, you're one of the first non-native Japanese people to hold on hold an official kimono dressing teaching license. Uh, yes. So firstly, when did you decide that this is something you wanted to do in the context of all the other different Japanese cultural traditions, um, like, you know, ikebana or sado? What made the kimono attract you to invest your energy and life into? Well, I'm... Since being a kid, I've been so interested in fashion that it was a natural extension of that. So that was kind of destined from way before I got to Japan, if you like. And um, just for just for um, our listeners who are learning about you for the first time, where are you originally from? I'm originally from the UK. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Uh, I, I'm a twin, and when I was really small, I was always dressed in the same clothes as my sister, and it was almost like I didn't have a name. People would just call us the twins, and I really hated that. And I'm like, no, I'm not the twins. I'm Sheila. I'm me. <laughs> and so I always kind of used clothes as a way to express myself. So when I found the kimono, it was kind of a natural extension of that. I wanted to use it to express myself somehow, as well as learning about Japanese culture. I think expression is what you're doing a lot. I see a lot of you. Yeah, I've seen your your photos are amazing. I guess we can go get into that a bit later. Um, just maybe some other questions is that if you could share a story of your first interaction with the kimono, how did you come across it? And how has your perspective changed, if it, if it has at all? Um, I first came across it when I went to look at pottery at an antiques market at some shrine or other. I would go to look at pots, but then my eyes were always drawn to this a uh, hanger full of beautiful silk garments. I didn't even know they were called kimono then because this is way before, like, internet age. <laughs> and I really didn't know anything about Japan. I just knew, knew they were the most fantastic colors. The cloth was really shiny and gorgeous. And sometimes they had incredibly beautiful motifs painted on them. Mm. And I thought, I don't know what this is, but I love it. <laughs> and, um, so I got into it really through the textiles, I would mm. think, and from the from the outside, from what I saw that looked so uh, amazing. But then gradually, as I got to know it, I realized that Kimono is so much more than a piece of cloth. And I call it, even though it's flat, the kimono can be folded up flat, it's 3D fashion. Um, and it's very deep, both kind of physically and culturally. 
would I be able to ask if you think it's 4D in terms of time as another dimension? As time progresses, like, you know, do you think it deepens the culture or enriches like the kimono tradition? Um, yeah, I mean, now people think of the kimono as traditional clothing, but the kimono has always incorporated the new. It's always um, expressed, it's kind of had a dialogue about things that are going on in the society at that time. So if you look at wartime kimono, you can find wartime designs. Um, You can find... Uh, Art Nouveau designs, when Art Nouveau came into Japan, you can find Western flowers when they were imported into Japan. Uh, You can find um, uh, Egyptian motifs after there was a big Egyptian uh, exhibition in Japan in the early 20th century. And uh, not only in the motifs, but also it has always incorporated new technology. In fact, new technology has been developed to make kimono, which is really interesting. Okay, thanks for that. I think Ariel has a question next. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. I thought that was really interesting how, you know, one thinks of traditional kimono, but in reality, it's so related to trends and latest technology and so on. Um, The question that I have is about um, sort of what I've noticed, like, you know, following your work is that you always uh, bring a very interesting insight in the sort of cultural exchanges that there are, which you also mentioned now between the West and the East when it comes to, you know, expressions of kimono and you've also included this in your work right so like for example recently there was the collaboration with the exhibition at the victoria and albert museum in london um i was wondering if you could share a little bit about some of the projects that you've been doing and you know why do you think it's important to sort of bring awareness to this interaction between the east and the west if you will i think uh recognizing the fact that Japan has always kind of soaked up things from other countries and has also influenced a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the important things about that, it kind of makes this kind of cultural appropriation argument sort of ridiculous because mm-hmm. Japan has always um had a great exchange with with other cultures mm. even the period when it kind of didn't even the in the edo period and um this time i went back when i went back i i popped into shepherd's bush market in london and i bought african fabric to make yukata i did I bought some before the COVID lockdown as well and spent a lot of my time sewing. Um, And people said to me, well, is it okay to use African fabric to make yukata? But if if you think about it, those African wax prints Mm. are made in Holland. They're also called Holland. So they were made in Holland, influenced by Indonesia, and they happened to find a popular market in West Africa. 
So already there's, we're crossing the whole world (laughs) Mm. already. And before it gets, you know, just before, even before it's sewn up, it's um, Europe and Asia and Africa all joined together in that. So I don't see that there's a problem with adding Japan to it, if Africans are okay with that. And I haven't seen had any bad reaction to that another thing that i did when i was back in england this time was photograph old mill buildings where cottons were made and this is it's kind of a, a long stretch but there are a couple of links with japan and the uk particular manchester and Mm-hmm. One of those links is that there was a big company making looms in Oldham, Manchester, called Platt Brothers, and they sold. No, yes, they sold, and and there were um, machinery makers in Japan too, and they sold a patent to Toyota Weaving Company. And with that money, Toyota became Toyota and started a car company. So the origins of Toyota Car Company are machinery that was was made in Manchester for weaving cloth. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So I guess the point is that you're trying to say that really, even before we start thinking about cultural, you know, influences on the influences have already happened. And, you know, we're a lot more um, shaped by these influences than we think, I suppose. Absolutely. And another Mm -hmm. thing I discovered or somebody discovered was a hank of cotton, which was for making... Tozan kimono, which is a kind of cotton workwear kimono made in the Kawagoi area and a few other places as well, that says that it was made in Manchester. The cotton itself was was made into thread in Manchester and then that Mm -hmm. brought it to Japan to make kimono. And I think Mm -hmm. Japan probably thinks it has nothing to do with the slave trade. Mm. But if it's weaving kimono with cotton from Manchester, then it also, you know, by implication, it's also involved in a very distant way in that slave trade that happened during the Industrial Revolution. And I think that would be shocking for Japanese people to hear, but I think that's the reality. I see. Um, um, as, as you said, uh, you know, there's a lot of possible influences and so on. Um, are there? And you participated in a lot of projects that sort of highlight this how how does you know the West and the East have influenced each other? Are there any projects that you're planning to participate in in the near future, or um, anything like that you're in the in the works, if you will? Um, not. Not particularly about that, but uh, I am continuing to work with some people in Kawagoi on 
these historical projects. We ha- we had an event planned, but we had to cancel it. But I'm sure we will be doing some kind of uh, talk session about it at some point in Kawagoi. Okay. Um, and then I also had another question um, that is sort of related to the point that you mentioned about sort of kimono being you know, 3D fashion and constantly uh, changing and so on. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell us a bit about the recent trends that you've noticed. Uh, You know, I don't know if in recent years and so on, is there anything that stands out to you um, that you think is a fun trend? um? Um, It it doesn't actually affect me because I'm not, but there are loads of kimono people who are cat ladies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Since 2000, yeah, since about 2000, 2010, I've increasingly seen so many cats on Kimoda, so many cat designs, even on Obijime, the Himo, the tie that goes around to the Obion. I've seen cat paws on there. Uh, So there are really a lot of, a lot cat designs in kimono. Of course, the introduction of digital print has affected the kimono too, a lot. And uh, there's a lot of digital print used on polyester kimono, kimono for rental, for ceremonies and all that kind of thing. But I think um, digital print can do things that you can't do with with hand handmade designs so instead of just imitating handmade designs it would be nice to see more experimental things happening with the digital printing going on mm. Okay, so I mean, it just because I have no idea, I'm never, I'm not like really an expert. Do you have anything in, in mind that you think would be a good, um, I don't know, expression of digital printing? Um, well, it, ha- well, it has this ability to produce almost photo- photographic like mm. um, likenesses, and mm. you you can shade colors with it and layer. Mm-hmm. With it, which is something that you can't do with, uh, for example, handmade yuzen or something like that. At the moment, it's just kind of like a, mostly it's like a cheap version of the same thing, but it can be more interesting than that. And so I'd like to see that. I think um, the brand Modern Antenna has done some kind of interesting poppy in images which where, where um, different patterns are layered on top of each other. I think that they've been quite experimental and interesting with it. Um, and the final, well, at least for now, the question that I have is um, also, I mean, you're talking all about new designs and you're talking about, you know, how you experimented with uh, different fabrics, for example, for Yukata and so on. Um, I guess aimed at people who may, for example, be just starting with kimono, be it Japanese, but also foreigners. Um, what advice would you give in terms of, you know, like what style to have with their kimono? Do you think there are any rules that they need to follow or, you know, one should just, you know, let themselves be inspired? 
Um, well, it, it's important that that the left goes over the right because that's that's a, an important cult that has. <laughs> of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thing. Mm-hmm. And you can tie two ties reasonably tightly. Basically, you can wear a kimono. So I recommend people start by wearing it over Western clothes and just wear the kimono over like a T-shirt or a turtleneck or something like that. Um, and just concentrate on on tying those two ties tightly so that it looks reasonable and and you you can also substitute things for the obi if the obi is difficult to tie um a belt can work a thick belt can work just fine or a piece of cloth tied in a long piece of cloth tied in a, a ribbon also works and i think it's important to remember that nobody goes around saying uh oh boy you're, you're wearing those jeans really badly today you look awful but for some reason, there's a there's a some people think it's okay to police kimono wearing in mm. that way, mm. and I don't think it's any more acceptable than it would be to comment on on Western clothing. So everyone has to start out. It's a skill. Dressing is a skill in kimono, and everyone has to start somewhere. So it's okay to wear it badly. <laughs> I want to add a personal story of when I was living in Fukushima about 10 years ago. I used to live um, with like the neighborhood, like Obachans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were all like very into kimono fashion. And every time we went out for dinner or had some sort of event, they would wear a kimono. Yes. Um, and one thing that, that really... I still can remember, like even today, is that they were very, um, I wouldn't say obsessed, but they, they really liked wearing like a hat, like a, uh, not like a cap, but like a fedora or that type of cap with a kimono. And they said that it's, it's just another way for them to, um, they said that they, they, they liked um, kind of keeping the hair all in one place. And that was something that they were like very, I guess, tedious about. I was wondering, what what do you think about um, people who wear, like, you know, hats or, like, fedoras with with, with kimono pairing? I love it. (laughs) Yes, me too. I I love it. Yeah, I think let's enjoy it. I mean, after a speech, one time, an old woman who loves hats but loves kimono Mm. but believes they should never be mixed came up and told me, you should not wear hats with kimono because hats are western culture and kimono are japanese culture so i i mean i beg to disagree japanese have been wearing hats with kimono since they were introduced in the meiji period so uh, you know i don't have a problem with it and and japanese have been okay with it too so i just said thank you very much for your opinion (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And I mean, recently with, for example, the in the, you know, the, the graduation ceremonies, right, we're seeing more and more like young women that they're wearing the traditional Japanese, like, you know, hakama and furisode and so on, but then they wear boots, right? And so I think that's also an interesting, like, you know, new expression of like how traditional Japanese kimono can be, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and that's been popular since the major period too. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> I ride a bicycle, they put on a hakamam boot and rode a bicycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's uh, this this style has a history, a Japanese history. Mm-hmm. Okay, I wanted to say um, you have a beautiful Instagram account. Oh, thank you. The colors are vibrant and very catchy. There's something magical about how you present the kimono. Could you tell us about your recent post, like those three set pieces that you have? I'm interested in some of the design details there, like especially like the obi. I, I, I wonder if you remember what I'm talking about. It's, it's like a purple wine kind of color with... with Mizutama. An obi? Uh, the obi has like trees, a print print of trees on it. A fern? Or it has a leaves? I'm not sure that I can... <laughs> you don't remember. Okay. Talking about a recent one was a dark dark brown with almost like snow on it. Oh, so that's brown. That's what it looks purple. Uh, okay. Not a purpley brown. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a part of a new thing I'm doing, which is because uh, I actually can't, you know, as I retired from the university, I don't have a salary anymore. So um, I've started to kind of put together outfits Mm. and see if if people would be interested in buying, actually buying my styling, if you like. And um, so I put together an outfit mm. and uh, take take all the different parts, take photographs of all the different parts and put the outfits up on Instagram. And it's a new experiment. And if nobody's interested, then I'll stop doing it. But so far, it's they seem to have been popular. I've put up five outfits, I think, and three of them have sold Oh, wow. So, yeah. And I think uh, it's a good way for people who are not sure how to coordinate at first. It's just to get one ready coordinated. Mm. And, you know, I'm including the bag and the accessories and everything with it so that people can just, they're relieved of the decision-making process. That sounds amazing. I really want that. <laughs> um, do you like find these like um, kimonos and sort of like, do you have agreements with shop uh, kimono makers or do you like, find, for example, secondhand? Like how, how does it work? Just about everything. Not always the earrings, but just about everything I've found in secondhand shops. Mm. So the the searching process is quite time consuming and it, it can take uh you know a month or two to get everything just how i want it i don't want to put it up with a bag that i don't think goes with the feeling or mm-hmm. put it up before i find some hair accessory or earring something so uh yeah, it's important to me to get it just the way I want it before I put it up. <laughs> yeah, I've 
I secretly follow this, like follow your post to see if there's any kimono I can buy from my family. Uh-huh. For my 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 mother in uh-huh. Sydney, she she also loves kimono. Oh. Every time she comes to Japan to visit, we make like a day just for her just to go put on a kimono. That's and, nice. And and go out and just just sit and do nothing. Pretty much, that's all she wants to do. She just wants to wear a kimono. <laughs> That's lovely. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe yeah. put on one or two each month. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll keep. I'll keep an eye out for this. And if there is something I like, I'll probably reach out to you. <laughs> Maybe she might put like versions for men, and then you can consider buying one as well, Galileo. <laughs> It'll be like a... Wow, then, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> mother and son package deal. <laughs> Um, okay, Sheila wanted to know. Um, actually, this question was from um, Susan. Um, I believe who you're in touch with when you're setting up your articles with Japan Forward. Yes. He asks. In addition to wearing kimono, you have developed close relationships with several of the kimono and OB designers and dyers. <laughs> that alone is unusual for a non-Japanese and shows the depth of your knowledge and respect in the industry. So she wants to know how did you come to know those in the industry in traditional dyeing and weaving regions of Japan. And second part of that question is how do you see these industries adjust adjusting to the changes in the market? Um. There are two areas that I'm involved with. One is uh, Shinjuku. There are a lot of workshops in the Ochiai and Yashinagasaki Waseda area. And that is because they have a project once every year to show their dying work called Some no Komichi, which I've written about in Japan forward. And I've been a part of the com- committee, which is just a group of volunteers, basically, who want to promote the, the area as a dying industry and, and its dying industry. So uh, I've got to know a few of the dyers there. And then the other area is the Tango area of Kyoto, which is famous for high quality silk uh, production. And they they chose me <laughs> as their ambassador. And uh, I was their ambassador from 20 through to 21. And uh, they could have chosen lots of famous Japanese kimono influences, but for some reason they chose me. And that was lovely. And it, it was so nice to be chosen. And unfortunately, because of Corona, I couldn't get down there to do the events that were planned. I did a lot of interviews with weavers online, which are up on YouTube. But um Yeah, I wasn't able to completely fulfill everything I wanted to do to promote them. So I'm still in touch with a lot of those people. And, you know, we've become friends and it takes a while to to gain people's trust. But I think now people in the kimono industry know I've got no secret agenda. I'm not really trying to promote myself. I just want to keep the kimono going keep the kimono culture alive and and just tell people how wonderful it is so i have their trust now and i believe you're doing a a great job like 
uh, there's not many people who are just like, like yourself who who do so much for the kimono for yes, the Japanese and for the Western Western world. So yeah, I really admire that about you. Thank you very much. Um, we're just getting close to about yeah, trying to wrap up in about ten fifteen minutes or so. Maybe just some last kind of random ish questions, if you don't mind. Are you still okay for time? Sure. Okay. Okay. Something I want I've always wanted to know is um, how often do you wear? If well, obviously you can answer if, if you're comfortable or not. But how how many three hundred sixty five days in a year? How many times are you in a kimono in a year? Um, before Corona, Corona, and when I was teaching at the university, I actually wore it more. I wore it like five or six times a week. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. I'm not out as much as I used to be. So I wear it less at the moment, maybe three or f- three or four times a week. When I'm in the house, I don't wear kimono and I love gardening. Oh. And <laughs> so I wear kimono and I do a lot of walking as well so I don't always wear kimono about half and half I'm half kimono and half western dress maybe a follow-up question to that is um in in a day what's the most number of times you've had to change into a kimono (laughs) probably four times well (laughs) was that for a show or a lesson and doing a photo shoot or something we want to get as much done in one day as we can it's possible that i've worn four, four different outfits in one no. day <laughs> for people who are not like you know very uh, good at wearing kimono i think there is this idea that it actually takes quite a while to you know put on a kimono and then tie the obi properly and so on like how long does it take you to like change into a kimono because it has so many layers right yeah, well, two kind of three less, I guess, if you include where um, plus the obi. It depends on the type of obi, but if I'm wearing a formal obi, I want twenty minutes, and I'm going, I want fifteen minutes, and be less than ten minutes. Mm-hmm. So. Whereas, I guess, if you went to a shop and stuff, it would take longer, right? It'd take you know. Up more than half an hour or something just to be like to, to be put in the dress right like uh, the, yeah they do all well they do all kinds of tying uh, <laughs> and things to mm-hmm. roll of cloth on you so that it actually looks like a kimono on you <laughs> takes some time mm-hmm. yeah okay, maybe one more last question from me is that we're coming well it's kind of middle mid-spring moving into summer would do you have any advice for like a kimono, the um, kimono styling for for this season? Well, yeah, um, offic- according to the official kimono calendar that, uh, <laughs> that uh, the kimono schools use, you don't wear unlined kimono till the first of June. But I think it's ridiculous to make your beautiful kimono all sweaty and horrible. So. I think it's warm enough to start wearing unlined kimono anytime from now. So you can even use a yukata with an underwear, a nagajuban under it, 
that works as a, a kind of summer kimono too. So I'd be looking for light, lightweight fabrics and line kimono from this season on. What about any like color suggestions? Do you have any suggestions for, you know, the coming season? Light green for the leaves, pink for the flowers, um, light purple, the 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 Fuji, the wisteria is about to, to be in full bloom. So that color is very seasonal. Um, yeah, butterflies are going to start flying everywhere. So butterflies are great. Wow. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Sheila, for your time and speaking with us today. It's good to learn about the kimonos being quite innovative in I guess the way you've described it, it started off with Tioda, now Toyota, the machinery. And it's just accomplished a lot in terms of Japanese and Western fashion. Um, so before we wrap up, do you have any announcements or anything you'd like to share to our listeners? Um, at the end of uh, at the end of May, uh, Tokyo Kimono Show is on. It's a big event which will be in Nihonbashi. I'll probably write about it. Um, if you look it up on the internet, you can find the place and everything. It'll be quite an exciting two-day event of the last weekend in May. And uh, I will be there and wandering around. I will probably have copies of my book, which I, my latest book, which is which I'll be selling. And uh, if you're there, please say hello. All right. Thank you, Sheila. Um, yes. So listeners, please read Sheila's articles on Japan Forward. Follow her on Instagram, um, Kimono Sheila. And Twitter is also the same username, Kimono Sheila. And her column on Japan Forward is Kimono Style. Um, so listeners, thank you for joining us today. Follow us, Japan Forward, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We also have a YouTube channel and our these spaces will be distributed on Spotify and Apple Music. Please make sure you subscribe to that as well. We will do this again next week. So keep an eye out on Twitter for the announcement. Thank you, everybody. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Real Issues, Real Voices, Real Japan podcast by Japan Forward. Visit our website for more information regarding our podcast and other news on Japan. Catch you next time.